Hi, my name is Pastor Dan Doherty, and uh, I'm here to bring you a message this morning. And uh, I've been in ministry for 18 years, and uh, over the last 18 years, it's been uh, great. A uh, lot of lot of good things that we've learned. I've been married for 18 years as well, my wife and I. Uh, her name is Nina. We have a son who is 15, and uh, is uh, his name is Micah. My daughter's name is Naomi, and she's 14. A little bit about my background. Um, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree from Nebraska Christian College. My Bachelor of Arts is in Youth Ministry. I have a Master's degree from Liberty University. Uh, it's a Master of Arts in uh, Christian Ministries with a focus on discipleship and church ministry. And I'm uh, currently halfway now through my PhD in Bible Exposition from Liberty University as well. So uh, I'm just excited to be here uh, and excited to give you a little glimpse of my heart in ministry which is biblical discipleship. The final journal, final journal entry of an unknown Zimbabwean pastor uh, was read after he was martyred, and it said simply this, I am a disciple of Christ. I will not let up, look back, or slow down. My past is redeemed, my future secure. I am done with low living, small planning, smooth knees, mundane talking, and small goals. My fate is set, my goal is sure, my road is narrow and rough. I'm a disciple of Christ. I must go until he comes, speaking of all I know, speaking of all I know of him, and work until he stops me. Church, this is the desire and should be the desire of every believer. This is the call of every believer. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you and I praise you, God, for this opportunity that we have uh, to gather, uh, and I pray, God, that you are glorified. Lord, speak through your word today. Speak to us on what it means to be disciples. I thank you, Jesus, so much for setting the course for us, for paying the penalty for our sin and shame, and giving us life when we believe on you. We thank you, Jesus, by your grace that we are saved. It's your name we pray. Amen. In the book of Matthew, we find Jesus calling his first disciples. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to be at verses 18 through 22 this morning. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And in the boat with Zebedee, their father, they were mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. When you see a passage like this, you wonder what really is supposed to be Christianity. And I'm telling you, Christianity is more than just a belief. You see, this is the calling of the first disciples. They were already believers in the Most High God. Uh, these, these young men were, were already students of the Word. But yet, Jesus calls them to follow. First of all, what is a disciple? Because I think oftentimes in our culture, the, the American church especially, we get this kind of confused a lot of times. You see, a disciple is more than just someone who believes and is a Christian. 
A disciple takes that next step and says, you know what, I'm going to make Jesus everything that I am. In essence, a disciple is one who wants to be what his rabbi is. This was the culture of this time. And it's really unique, too, how Jesus comes and calls his disciples because that wasn't the norm in that society. Because what would happen normally is, is once you reach a certain level of education, you would go out and you would find a rabbi that you'd want to follow, and you would ask them, can I follow you? And that rabbi would basically test to see what you were and what you had. And so he would ask you questions about what you knew, and then he would make a determination as to whether or not you were good enough to follow him. You see, the fact that James and John and Peter and Andrew are fishing, doing the trades of their father, tells us that they didn't have what it took to become disciples. Jesus goes against the norm, and he sets out to find his own. And he doesn't do this because he wants to be a rebel. He does this because he is the one with supreme authority. He doesn't pick the best of the best either. Again, these, these four young men are fishing, doing the trades of their father. They weren't good enough to be rabbis, or they weren't good enough to be a rabbi's disciple. So they were doing the honorable thing and taking care of their families. But Jesus finds them. And he picks them. He finds them in his, uh, with his authority and he knows that they need him because they cannot be what they were called to be without him. See, Jesus chooses his own. And I feel he does this so that we understand that it is not us, but it's Jesus. It's the power of God. See, life is all about his will. It's not about ours. So I want to look at specifically verse 19 as we continue in this message. In this passage, we find the first call of disciples, but I want to break this down in just verse 19 to really understand the call of a disciple. You see, in this verse, we have three attributes of a disciple. We have the head, we have the heart, and we have the hands. So let's look at the head. The head comes when Jesus says, follow me. The first three words of Jesus in this verse is a simple invitation. Come, follow me. You see, a disciple of Jesus has to choose and decide within their minds who Jesus is and then follow Jesus. It's not just saying, I want to believe in you, Jesus. I want salvation in you. But it's saying, I want more than just that. The gift of salvation is beautiful. It's, it's lovely. We need it. But there's so much more. So when Jesus says, follow me, a disciple must follow. This is an invitation to let go of all that is holding us back, everything that holds us captive, and experience true freedom. This invitation to follow is one that indicates our willingness to accept Jesus for all that he is, not just fire insurance, not just salvation, but for everything that he is. This is what this invitation entails. Following means that we recognize and accept that Jesus is Lord, Savior, and Master. It's a willingness to put Jesus in front and take your place behind him. The words of John, in John chapter 12, verse 26 says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
You see, John is penning the words of Jesus here. And Jesus makes it very clear that, that if you want to serve him, it goes beyond belief, but it goes into a decision to follow after him. The call to follow is a matter of the head because we will not be told the destination. So we have to decide early on within our minds that this is going to be worth it. It isn't promised to be easy either. I love how we in Christianity have this, this false notion that if we just believe in Jesus, everything will just be good and, and pan out. And, and what we don't understand is that it was never promised to be easy. The language of Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 26 is somewhat harsh. Jesus says, and Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, we've got to decide if it's worth it and then commit. We've got to make our mind up and say, you know what, there's no more games here. This is either an all-in or not at all. Although this does touch the heart, it requires a mental decision to understand that Jesus is now in charge, that we let go of everything that we are for the sake of the gospel. The invitation to follow goes beyond a good feeling. It's not a call to half-hearted worship or obedience. It is a complete surrender. It means learning and believing the truths of Jesus and requires a change of headship in your life. It's not enough just to, to have right answers, but these right answers need to be lived out through everyday life. And it requires us to put Jesus first in all things. The heart. We see the heart with Jesus saying, I will make you. This is the process of transformation. This is really what Jesus is after in our lives. This means a heart change, something different in our life. We're going from old to new as the scripture tells us that we become a new creation in him. Jesus begins to transform and mold our hearts to look more like his, not more like mine or yours or the other person that you look up to in the faith, but Jesus, because he is the one that we are to follow. Plain and simple, a disciple is changed by Jesus. A disciple says, it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about me, Jesus, it's about your desires, your passions, and Jesus changes us as he transforms us. He changes our hearts to look more like his. Following Jesus is not just a mental decision, but it's also a process of transformation that, that changes in the heart. That transformation doesn't happen in the mind. It happens deep within who you are, in your soul. And there's a point where your mind and your heart start to connect, and that's when you know that you've reached a place where you're maturing in Christ. Jesus invites us to follow him before a change even takes place. And this is, this is amazing to me because we run into people all the time who say, I can't do this because I don't, 
I don't know the answers, or I, I'm just too bad, I cuss too much, I do this. And, and we, try to, we try to justify our actions by saying we need to get right first before we let Jesus change us. And that's just not the case. Before, before he changes the heart, he says, follow me. This helps us come to grips with Jesus as the one who brings the change. It's not us that when we accept Jesus that, that we just say, okay, we're going to quit this or we're going to stop doing that. And we're just going to be better people. This is a process in which Jesus comes by the power of his Holy Spirit and changes our hearts for the good. Second Corinthians, Paul gives us a great reminder of this. Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now you notice that verse that Paul writes is not talking anything about transformation that we do or change that we do. This is all what Jesus does through the Spirit. Surrendering to Jesus' call to follow is giving him permission to remake us. It's saying, God, I know I'm not good enough, so that's why I need you in my life, and, and I want to follow you, so Lord, make me new. You see, by the power of his Spirit, he purges our soul of the impurities, and he replaces it with his will and his character. In fact, the very idea of being a Christian is to be Christ-like. And that's what Jesus does. He wants to teach us how to love better. In fact, not just better, to love as he does. And if you read the New Testament, you'll know, especially in the Gospels, that the love Jesus has, that's so much greater than what we can ever conjure up on our own. So Jesus calls us to love as he does. He transforms our view of the world and gives us strength that brings hope to people. You see, some think that discipleship is learning of information that, that simply leads to a behavioral change. And if that's all that it does in your life, that's not true discipleship. That's knowledge becoming knowledge. It's learning just to learn. In fact, we as Christians are, are really good about learning so much that we abuse people who don't know. We abuse them with our knowledge. We abuse them with our words instead of helping them understand the truth. You see, discipleship is not just learning information. It's information that changes you, and it's information that helps change others because of your change. In his book, Discipleship, Jim Putman writes this, Discipleship at heart involves transformation at the deepest levels of our understanding, affection, and the will by the Holy Spirit, through the word of God and in relationship with the people of God. You see, we're, we've got to allow discipleship to take place and transform our hearts. Not just our head, but our hearts as well. And finally, we look at our hands. This is found when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. This part of our call to discipleship involves our hands. It involves action. This is a call not just to follow, not just to allow him to change you, but also to do what he changes you to do. This is action. 
It's an indicator that when one chooses to follow and as Jesus begins to change them, there is a call to do something with what he's done in you. A disciple of Jesus is a disciple with purpose. We don't just believe and, and call ourselves disciples and, and sit around on our couches or in our pews on Sunday morning thinking we're becoming more holy. You see, all that's good. We need to be meeting together. We need to be worshiping together. But if nothing transforms your life and you don't leave the building to go and enter your mission field, then what are we doing? We have a community in need around us of the grace of Jesus Christ. And a disciple has a purpose, and that purpose is to bring hope to the people around them. This is a commitment to join in God's mission. We have this very, very early on in the church when, when Jesus says, here's your marching orders, this is what you're to do, you're to go and make disciples of all nations in Matthew chapter 18. 28, I'm sorry, verses 18 through 20. When he tells us to do this, he's not saying this is an option or this is something that, that if you have time, go ahead and do. But he tells us that go and make disciples of all nations. This is a commitment to join a mission. For Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were always fishermen. They knew what it meant to fish. But this time, Jesus' call gives them a much greater purpose. This goes beyond providing for the family. This goes beyond providing for the village. This is providing the one security that everyone needs, and that's the security of knowing that they can be with him for eternity. Jesus' call brings them beyond a mundane, everyday life. But it's a life of evangelism and of discipleship. At this call, the desires of self dissipate and God's heart takes over. And when God's heart begins to take over, we begin to value and long for and care about the things that God actually cares about. Our hearts become more in line with His will and His desires. You see, when we live this stuff, not just listen to it, not just study it, but when we live it, it changes everything. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. He says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love how Paul puts this because when you think about what is the job of a believer, of one who becomes a disciple of Jesus, Paul nails it when he says that when Jesus died, it was so that we might live and no longer live for ourselves, 
but for him. Not lo no longer take upon our own time and do our own thing, but really focus on the mission that God has given the church. And he goes on to say that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And because of that, we've been given a ministry to be able to help reconcile people who do not know Jesus Christ to, to the Father. We are saved for purpose. We are called to discipleship and given meaning and are invited to take part in an adventure. Now, this isn't boring. This is an adventure. I mean, think about it. Not knowing what God is going to do next in your life. It's adventure. And there is no greater, of love, no greater love that we can give to the people of this world than to share this good news with them. And help bring them to a saving relationship with Jesus. This attribute of a disciple, these hands, is a call to action. And speaks to us on a level like no other. It's got to go through the head, transform in the heart, but it's got to be lived out through our hands. The way we live it. It's a call to action. And I tell you, it changes everything when you receive this call and you obey this call. You see, it's a willingness to use your gifts to serve and to love. So when Jesus says come, it's a call for our head, our hearts, and our hands. Discipleship is the call of every believer. You have no escape as a Christian from this call of discipleship. But you need to choose to live this way. Again, we have a community that surrounds us. We have people in our family. We have people in our state, in our country, that do not know the love of Jesus Christ. How is that love shown to them? Through people like you and I. Disciples. Have you answered that call? Some of you here the, this morning are or in the grip of God's grace. You know what it means to be saved, but have never committed to a life of discipleship. So I challenge you today to make that decision. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer watching things take place, but get involved. Give Jesus your head, your heart, and your hands. As the late pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. So it's time to take the step. Take the step of discipleship and experience the life that you were meant to live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you for your glory. I thank you for choosing us to call us to you, Lord. All of us misfits. None of us are worthy, but Jesus, you have reconciled us to yourself. And because of that, we are made righteous. So help us, God, to answer the call to follow you, to go beyond salvation, that others may see your glory, your righteousness, your salvation. Jesus, use us. Use us as you see fit. And we praise you, God, for all that you have done in our lives and in the lives of this church. We praise you, Jesus, for your grace. It's your name we pray.